Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. Unlike usual, Bill's not here with me. He's still back out in the bush doing some uh, animal catching. But here to join me on this week's podcast, we have Matt. Welcome. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for having me. And you are a uh, sports analyst, a stats man. Yeah, that's correct. I'm currently doing my master's in sports analytics, so working through that. Um, yeah, loving all things AFL, all things stats. Big super coach man. I know you're in our draft league. You uh, got pipped at the post there. Absolutely shattering, but yes, that's true. But love the super coach, that's for sure. Love the super coach. So you got some interesting stats for us. You do it for a living. Do you know much about the uh, AFL stats and some quirky things for us? Yeah, definitely. There's always some weird things going on with the AFL stats and how they're all taken, particularly things like the tackles. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but tackles don't necessarily have to be wrapping your arms around someone. could be a simple bump or a corralling and just making the uh, opposition player not use the ball correctly. So, Yeah, I know there was a big uproar earlier in the year about this. Someone on Twitter got on and said, Dusty had like you know 10 tackles in a match or something and showed the footage of the closest things he could find to tackles and he barely touched some people all the time and everyone was sort of like wondering whether Dusty was a champion data love child or something he was getting some easy stats but maybe they were correct yeah I heard a bit about this but I think um there's a few people there's always one or two on Twitter that have to come out like this but uh (laughs) Um, no, there's definitely there's definitely some times where it, it looks a bit sketchy, but you know the pressure's on there. So you you know if there's enough pressure on the on the kick or the disposal, then it'll be given a tackle. So yeah, you were trying to explain it to me a bit earlier. We're watching some footage. So if there's say a player in the middle of the ground and the player with the ball is running towards them and they make them say change direction into a bad position, that can count as a tackle, even though I haven't touched them. There'd have to be some sort of contact but um just even a general bump or a corral could could definitely um count as a tackle for sure so hip and shoulders technically tackle definitely could be yes interesting and what about say clearances is one that i always have issues with trying to watch for my super coach team or the stats on watching them on my phone as we're watching the match do you have to get the big kick out of the uh center square to get that clearance not necessarily sometimes you can be uh just the first possession getter in in a clearance chain that could uh could help you get the the clearance there so it's that's another tough one it's also it's very difficult to to judge but um often the the first first possession for a clearance chain will be the clearance possession right so even if i get the big boot the big torpy into the 50 i might not get the clearance if someone gave me the hands out that's right yeah interesting uh, one that I've got to ask, because Bill always goes on about it, the uh, supercoach is big in uh, our friendship group, but waiting for the women's supercoach, do you think they've got the stats available? Is it going to come out soon? Have you heard anything about the women's right, supercoach? It, it, it should be coming out. I mean, it's 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 a great game, and it'll really get the, the spectators involved in the women's footy, and I, I think that you know all, all the stats are there, so it should just be you know ready to rock and roll at some point. All right. Supercoach Harold Sun is listening to this podcast, obviously. Get around it. Women's supercoach, you want to... We want to see it. Absolutely. So coming up, draft period, we'll probably do some pods about that coming up in the uh, next few weeks, probably wait till after the uh, finals are done and get heavy into the draft. Um, got some opinions coming into this offseason? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things that have caught my eye. And I think, I think just a team like Gold Coast need to maybe change their draft strategy this year and maybe look at getting some of the players that will stay together and stay, stay loyal um, particularly the King boys, if they can manage to get them with their two high draft picks, it might be worthwhile paying overs for those those players just so they can stay together. Yeah, they obviously paid overs to get Lockie Weller to come over last off season to get a player who wanted to play for them and retention issues obviously up in the Gold Coast and Brisbane as well in the past have been 
big issue. So they've got pick two at the moment. They're likely to get pick three when uh, Tom Lynch leaves. Do you think they could use two and three on the boys, or is that paying a bit too much? for? It might be paying a bit much, but if they can possibly get picks three and four or um, split their picks somehow, it might be worth going down the draft order a little bit, but I'm um, still looking at those King boys as, um, as two options. One team that might be looking to trade ups, Adelaide. I know Rankine and Lakotius are two pretty highly talented South Australian boys, and Adelaide might look to move up. They've currently got a couple of uh, later picks. What do you think the King boys could slide to? Could say an Adelaide pick? What have they got? Eight at the moment, and an end of first round be enough to grab them both, or are they both looking to be top 10 picks themselves? It looks like at least one of the King boys will go in, inside the top 10. One might slide outside, but it, they'll definitely be still up there. So it's hard to judge, especially with um, those sort of key position players. Mm, and with uh, Lukosius and uh, and Rankine, do you think there's a possibility they might fall down the draft order? I know we saw um, Fogarty in the last trade period. Adelaide boy was meant to go really highly, slipped all the way to Adelaide's first pick there. Is it possible that we see some of these teams stay away from these really good players like we saw with Fogarty, assuming they'll go back to South Australia? I think some of the teams with go-home factors might steer clear of them just because they've been burnt before, but there's, there's definitely some teams that, that won't worry and will just snap them up as soon as they can. be interesting to see with Gold Coast. I know they have had a lot of talk about Lukosius being a potential star of your team, You know, a player you can build around, your Nick Riold, if you will, that Saints build around for their whole whole dynasty there. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Gold Coast, a team that's trying to keep those players, goes towards, a, say, these King brothers or maybe some of the Vic Country boys or something like that to try and keep them up there, or if they do, just risk it and go for the best player available. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and um, it'll be interesting on draft nights now um, to draft see what, how, how the uh, the live draft picks trading will go, so it should yeah, be quite interesting. Definitely. So they've, so they've changed it up now. We're going to get live trading of just the picks on the night, not the players, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And we're going to go over a couple of days. Yep, that's right. And the, I think the first round will be will be done and dusted after night one, and then they've got a little bit of time to work out, re-strategize, and, and go back in for the second day. We're also looking at the uh, picks the teams had before we got on the pod, and we Fremantle stuck there with only two picks this year. <laughs> yeah, not sure what that's about. They, they might need to trade into the to the draft a bit, especially considering this is supposed to be a very, very strong draft. So um, <laughs> not sure what they're doing. <laughs> Wait and see. We've got some trade news coming out at the moment as well. Probably the biggest name is Lockie Neal. Brisbane's having a lot of interest in him. I think that's that'll be a really good trade if it comes out. I think I think pick four for Neal will be a really good result for both teams. Yeah, you think four would be enough to get it done? He's, he's contracted, but he's also come out, said he wants to go. Is it going to be four enough, or will there be some later picks thrown in, do you think? I think there, there might be some steak knives in that, but um, I think that should be enough to get it done. If if Neil's still interested. Yeah, so the word was that he's been talking to Brisbane throughout the year even, or at least recently, uh, contacting them, and I think he's over there in Brisbane at the moment. So I think Brisbane are very confident that they'll be able to get a deal done here. And I know their trade strategy coming into this year was that they're not going to trade for those middle-rung players, that they'll either be going for broke on the, on the superstars or sort of hitting the draft. So it looks like they've got someone in their eye. I don't know how they figured out Neil was wanting to leave Frio, but... Seems like a really good get if they can pull him into their system. Yeah, definitely. And uh, also, Freo will get a pick. That'll be handy for them. <laughs> definitely. We also know uh, Lysette's come out and said that Port's his destination of choice. Overlooking St. Kilda, I know we're having a big look at him. It's a real strange one, this. I mean, coming out on the eve of finals and well, this story breaking, I don't know how much he had to do with it, but um, him coming out and saying that he had a destination when he hasn't even finished his final series is, is unusual. And then 
Port Adelaide at that, where he's no, he's, you know he's not going to be the number one ruckman unless Paddy Ryder goes down. So it's really interesting. It is interesting. It's interesting to see that, uh, first of all, we know that Port was looking for ruckman, looking for someone to sort of back up Ryder. But personally, I thought they would have looked at, you know, your, your rough heads, your hickeys, your, yeah. these players that are sort of on the fringe to keep on the side rather than going for a player like Lysad who's looking to be the number one option, will even be the number one option next year at West Coast. But, yeah, to come out during finals and to pick... I know he wants to go home potentially, but it is odd for all of this to come out at this time of the year. It's very strange, yes. We also know that uh, we'll let go that you're a bit of a Geelong supporter. I think Dalhouse might be making a move over to the Cadre. Oh, it'd be so, that'd be fantastic. It's exactly what Geelong's lacking. So that sort of defensive pressure and um, can run through the midfield, but also run defensively would be excellent for Geelong. Four years on $550,000, about right to pull a player of his standard out of the dogs? Yeah, definitely. I think that'll be a, um, a really good offer, and I think he should definitely do it. <laughs> Take it. You heard it here first. We also heard a lot of news coming out as early as today from uh, the Polek to North scenario sort of heating up with the Saints increasing their offer to him at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I thought that Polek in, at North was a really good fit, and um, Saints coming out today and, and saying they're really going after Polek. I, I'm not sure what what Pollock should do because I think they're both good fits for him but maybe North Melbourne might have a just slightly better list at the moment well it's it's a bit of a sort of toss-up for these teams because seven hundred thousand eight hundred thousand dollars everyone's saying is a bit high for Pollock would you agree with that yeah uh, definitely <laughs> definitely a bit high but the sort of difference comes where is it better for say Brisbane to take a Neil losing their pick five or say St Kilda keeping their pick four and getting a free agent for a little more money that's probably not as good it's sort of a real toss up for these teams especially the ones like you know North Saints and Brisbane who are on the on the up that need to sort of keep these sort of uh, draft picks coming in as well as getting these players yeah it's an interesting one and then especially with with North and Saints having a bit of money to spend they they might be paying overs for these these players but that's what they're going to be doing for the next few seasons you'd think yeah, I know that how the cap works is if you pay sort of under that 100% down at the 95 for a few seasons, then you have to pay 105% of the cap for the next few, which is situation St. Kilda is in at the moment. So if they're not bringing in a player, they're going to have to restructure their pay packets to their current players and pay them a bit overs for now, which might be just as much trouble going forward because you've got players who are used to being on a bigger number that come the future will want that increase to keep coming. Yeah, and that comes on the back of uh, Gold Coast coming out and saying there actually might be a little bit of a salary cap squeeze considering yeah. the uh, the state their club is in. They must have had to do something like that in the previous years and and really force a big issue on them, force a big problem to themselves. We've also come out and had the All Australian team and a few of the uh, major uh, home and away year honours come out. Did you see the All Australian team drop? I did. I watched it on TV. It was very boring. Very boring. <laughs> just not the spectacle it sort it's of not, used to be. Not quite the Brownlow in terms of the spectacle. I, I need a bit of uh, reminiscing about the year rather than just the single players and uh, one anecdote from each of them. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Buddy had one anecdote, which was after he got named captain, his captaincy speech was "kick the ball to me, boys." So maybe that's why he hasn't been captain before. Well, yeah, he was, I mean, that's a, it. Was an interesting choice uh, considering he's he's never been in the leadership group, never captained any sort of team so not sure where that one came from he's also considered to have a reasonably poor year by his standards i know the most super coaches were quite annoyed for him you know his heel playing up all year not really playing to his highest standards he missed i think four games for the year and uh yeah getting named captain quite an interesting choice yeah i think um the last few seasons has been a few touch and go um captaincy decisions and i I remember a few years ago joel salwood just scraped in for the australian team and also got named captain i thought that kind of made sense considering he was the captain at the time but um, this one, this one was a bit of a shock, and yeah. uh, 
Yeah. I think was... Alex Rance was last year, not captain at his club either, and now now Buddy. So they're sort of just picking best player should be captain, whoever's choosing captain from that All-Australian team. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, um, it was interesting seeing, um, well, especially Dustin Martin, Lance Franklin, and Dangerfield all named on the field in the whole Australian team where they've been all victims of their own great form over the years. So they've all been told, everyone's been saying that they've had a, like less than less than average years for themselves, but obviously they've been much better than the competition. So. Yeah, yeah, that is a very interesting point. And we also saw a few players that people sort of uh, used to be underrated players like Shane Edwards, who's now sort of everyone's saying that he's overrated. It, it flipped so quickly by him just being put in this one Australian team. Yeah, definitely. And there was, there was definitely a bit of controversy over that decision, but I think it was well earned, definitely. One of the uh, most underrated players in the competition that we harped on about um, at the start of the year on the pod was Jack McRae, who we thought was then becoming, you know, everyone was around him, everyone knew he was one of the best in the comp, getting the ball out of the middle constantly, but he was someone that missed out, averaging 33 touches, six marks and five tackles a game, played more games than Franklin did, he only missed the three and uh, still didn't get in those honours. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the All-Australian is always analysed to death, but, you know, you, you always look at the team and say that is a great team, but you always say there's also great players missing out. Yeah. So even out of the 40-man squad, that's the same, it's the same problem. We also had the uh, AFLPA have their awards nights, and uh, Tommy Mitchell took out the uh, the honours there as the most valuable player, coming just in front of some of his other uh, challenges there in Cripps, Gorn, um, Dusty and Franklin rounding out the top votes. Yeah, so I think it was, was it Lee Matthews that came out this week and said that uh, the AFL Players Association Award is probably the worst award yeah. in the history of ever. It's <laughs> just such a huge call, especially for an award that I think is reasonably well-received by the players themselves. Yeah. They're like, I quite enjoy my peers saying that I was the best out there. Absolutely. I thought that was a ridiculous call. And I, I don't know what he's talking about. About everything. Just it, That is just... If you're going to say, you know, I don't quite like the awards, I much prefer the Brownlow or something, everyone will be like, all right, but that's a bit over the top, I reckon. That was way too much, yeah. <laughs> they also had their uh, Most Courageous Award, which Callum Ward took out ahead of uh, Morris coming in a second. So that's a uh, nice tip to uh, the older dogs player there. Yeah, well done to the cement head. <laughs> the cement head. Um, and then we also had the best first year player come out, which um, Kelly won in a canter above Stephenson and uh, Cam Rayner there. So Kelly already considered the elite status, um, wasn't eligible for the Rising Star, which Stephenson took out, but um, definitely got the award um, on the night. Yeah, he's been um, unbelievable this year, so he's just going to keep going from strength to strength, it seems. So hopefully Geelong can keep yeah. a hold of him. Keep going from strength to strength at the Cats, you <laughs> Yeah, think? at the Cats. At the Cats. <laughs> Obviously that WA go-home factor, but um, I think the final series might be very important in what he does. If you guys you know, go deep and he... He sort of gets there near that end prize at Geelong. He might consider staying a little more heavily than if you get bounced. Now, just on Kelly, just going back to him, um, he's he's been uh, you know often described as as silky and smooth and a, a really good ball user. But if you actually start looking at some of his his numbers and his disposal efficiency, he's actually butchers the ball with the, with his kicks. He actually really, really does butcher the ball. It's just because he's he's so good at the ground level, he's so good at picking up the ball that he just looks classy all the way. But there is some problems in the game that he needs to work on, and and disposals, uh, kicking efficiency is one of those. So is his handball efficiency quite good, notching those numbers up, and it just sort of gets lost in the haze, or is is he missing all of these kicks that he's taking? I, I would say that well, he probably does. Actually, he's probably he's a good handballer, but the um the, yeah the kicks are definitely uh not always hitting the target. He'll have to 
keep an eye on it. Uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye on that one. We also had the best uh, captain award coming out of the AFLPA, which uh, Captain Koch took out ahead of Hearn and uh, Pendlebury coming in third there. So Koch and getting the chocolates there. Um, considered to be a very good captain after his previous everyone getting around him for kicking into the wind fiascos of the past. Now he's considered the best in the business. Yeah, clearly learned from his uh, mistakes there. But um, yeah, no, you, you've got to you've got to give. Um, the best captain to the best team that you know that's just how how it should be yeah it's how it usually goes and what um tex walkers won the ones last year when they finished on top of the ladder as well so mm-hmm. usually is how the award gets given out we also had the coaches awards uh giving out their uh best player which actually went to a bit of a different player here maxi gaunt took that out ahead of Cripps and mitchell yeah um definitely well deserved by maxi and um i think well I mean, Gorn, Cripps, Mitchell, those are three players you'll hear a lot of on um, Brownlow Night. And um, I think there was another... I think Grundy came fourth or fifth yeah, as well, so, so it's a good, good year for the big men, that's for sure. Do you think that they'll poll well in the Brownlow, the uh, Ruckman, or will it be like always and we won't even see them in the top ten? It's going to be tough for, for Maxi because of Clayton Oliver and his, his season. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of games where they've where Melbourne have just destroyed their opposition, so... You know there could be goal kickers that that factor in, so it's it's going to be it's going to be tough for Maxi to get a good share of the Melbourne votes. Do you have a tip for Brownlow night? I think Mitchell will do it by five votes to Dusty. Oh, huge! And I will point out that that was my tip for the Brownlow come out preseason pod. So uh, me and Bill will have to run through those. I didn't get many of them right, so I'm going to talk myself up here. But coming uh, next few weeks when Bill's back in the fray, we might go back through and uh, laugh at some of the calls we made. But that might be one that I get right come Brownlow night. It's a good prediction. That's that's a that's a really good effort. We'll move on to the games of this week. We've got some big finals, uh, big four matches, a couple of eliminations as well. So might just run through the matches now and uh, have a talk about what we think the biggest talking points of the match are and uh, we'll give the models tips and our tips as well. So start on the Thursday night. Yeah, so we've got uh, Tigers versus Hawks. Um, Thursday night, it's going to be blockbuster at the MCG, sold out. Battle in the midfield, I think, with uh, Tom Mitchell, Dusty Martin, not, probably not going to head-to-head. I, I'd imagine that um, the Graham might get the, the job on Mitchell. Um, maybe Daniel Howe back in to do the job on Dusty if he's playing through the midfield. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. They've only played um, one time this year back in round three where the Tigers got up in a in a reasonably close match over the Hawks. And in that game, Tommy Mitchell had the 42 touches and a goal, so got off the chain. I really don't expect the uh, Tigers to give him the same sort of leniency come the finals. I think that call of Graham's probably correct. I reckon they'll stick him pretty tightly to Mitchell all day. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if uh, if James Sisley gets back in the team. Um, he'll play a big role if he does, and if, if not, he'll play a big role in the rest of the Hawks final series. Yeah, definitely. We saw how important he was this year. He just fits into that sort of Clarkson, Clarkson system so well of that elite ball user out of defense, sitting behind the ball and setting up the play with that first elite kick to, to get them forward, and he really just took that role previously a forward, moved into the back line and sort of was really, really classy and really important for them. And um, they've performed pretty well, even missing him for the last six weeks. I think that the Hawks have won their last six games, um, it, most of them in really close affairs. I know they got over the Saints by only four points and Dons by four points and Swans by nine recently. But the Tigers, not in the best form either. You know that game against the Dogs recently, three points and Essendon before that in a really close affair where they just sort of, they knew they were top two and they were sort of coasting, do you think? It's possible that they upped their training load knowing that they were going to get a top two finish and, and um, suffered a bit on game day, but um, really put in the, the big big job on, on the training track, possibly. Hmm. Um, just another thing on the, the team list, uh, the team 
uh, for Thursday night. If um if Dan Butler does come back in for Jack Higgins, which has been flagged by the coach as a possibility, it's gonna be it's gonna mean that there's only one change from the Richmond team from last year's grand final team. Wow. Which is be the first time that it's happened since uh, Hawthorne did it in two thousand fifteen and the only other time. It's happened. That's that's huge. That's a really interesting stat there, and it's interesting considering sort of the finals experience discrepancy we have between these two teams. Because I know that um, the Tigers' uh, finals experience is 114 games, whereas the Hawthorne team that they could potentially put out there is 265. Where you know Silk Burgoyne's got 33 games alone, so they're coming up against a team that actually has a lot of experience in the finals, which might not be the best thing for the Tigers. Yeah, and it does account for a lot. But once again, if if we're talking about 22, uh, 21 premiership players from last year, they're going to know how to do it and, and when yeah. it should be done. So Yeah, fair enough. And that Butler one's very interesting because I'm pretty sure on the weekend he had three touches and one goal and just like a little bit of a runaround in that VFL match. So if they bring him in, they clearly know that he's going to be able to play that role that they need him to on the day. Mm. We also know that there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of heavy rain on Thursday night. They reckon there'll be seven mils during the day, down to only one at night, but it's going to be a wet ground. Who do you think that plays into a little better? Probably into the Tigers' um, mad ball sort of um, style because especially the Hawks like to chip it around, like to hold onto the footy, and it could make it a bit tough to, to um, take those marks in the defense and move it around. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out, especially with it being wet. I expect Clarko will want to possess the ball and do a few little chips or kick it down the line rather than getting in that pressure game that the Tigers like with the handball. And we know the Hawks can play that kicking game quite well, but maybe the rain will play play against that for the Hawks, I think. Yeah, I think so. So the line on Sportsbet at the moment has the Tigers by 17 points. I think they'll do it pretty easy. Um, we've run our algorithm, and it actually thinks this game is pretty much a toss of the coin. They think that Hawks are in great form, and the Tigers have slid a bit over the last few weeks, and it actually has the Hawks by 0.26 of a point. So it's pretty much dead even, a toy- coin flip game, but it's going to tip the Hawks by a point in the end. It's interesting that one. Um, I'd love to see what the algorithm, how the algorithm works, and see where that comes from. Well, but um, um, uh, I'm going to be tipping the Tigers in this one, and probably by more than that, 17 points. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to side with the Tigers as well. We might get your elite stat input into the uh, algorithm in the off season and see if we can, we can bring it up to scratch to be even better for next year. But yeah, it's tipping this one to be quite close, and it'd be interesting to see on the day. But I think the Tigers are the G very hard to we don't have that sort of stat in our algorithm and the tigers have only lost interstate this year they don't lose at the g whereas the hawks have actually lost uh, quite a lot of games there so it's very interesting to see um to see everyone expecting the tigers to get up so easily in this but that stat sort of sort of backs it up at the moment so the next game is uh, the Demons versus the Cats on Friday night. Should be a blockbuster as well. I'll be heading there on Friday night. Hopefully yeah. it doesn't rain. Before we get into this one, do you want to say how you're getting there? You've, you've won yourself a raffle. Yeah, so I won my local club raffle on the weekend and managed to score myself um, finals tickets for this whole final series, including the grand final. So I'll be uh, heading to the game on Friday and enjoying a free seat. Beautiful. So these teams have played a couple of times this year in both after the Siren game. So th- these are teams that should should put out a really close, hard-fought game. We had Gorn missing that shot after the Siren and Tui kicking the goal after the Siren. So these teams really match up quite well. Yeah, it's really interesting. These two teams are probably going to be the second-ranked teams Whoever wins this will probably be the second ranked team out of all the all the teams in the finals race after the Tigers. So it it really is, you know, 
it's unlucky for the team who loses this to to go out in the first round because either of these teams could also could win the grand final. Yeah, definitely. I know as our algorithm stands, it thinks that these are the best two teams in the competition. So that sort of backs up what you're saying there that the one that gets knocked out is sort of a bit unlucky, and the one that gets through really does have a shot at going really far. So this is this is a huge match, and um, be really interesting to see how it's won out of that midfield. I think. Yeah, and the other thing is you should never discount um, percentage. And these two teams have the thir- second and third best percentage in the league, and it just just shows that you know they can they can score well and strangle the opposition into t- defense. And Tigers, of course, are the f- the um, top of the percentage ladder. So it's it's interesting that these are one of these two teams has to go home. Yeah, very interesting. Something I'll be looking at is that the uh, first time they matched up this year, Joel Selwood got off the chain for 39 touches. Um, but in that second game, um, Harms went and did a good tagging job, job on him and kept him kept him down to not many touches and not, not a lot of impact on the game. While on the flip side, Clayton Oliver went nuts in that one and got 40 touches. So it be interesting to see if Harms and Selwood line up against each other at that first bounce. Yeah, I definitely think that's the matchup. And they, they have to go with the, the, the known formula there because it worked, worked a treat last time. As for Clayton Oliver, I think he won't. He'll be going head to head with uh, Dangerfield or, or someone else in the midfield. I don't think Scott Selwood will be doing a job on him. I think Scott Selwood will be playing forward and maybe doing a, um, a defensive job on Michael Hibbert or potentially um, just trying to get goals. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. And the one of the other things I'm um, really interested to see is if Reece Stanley gets up for this game with the obvious calf issue, and if he doesn't, they've been playing um, Abbott played three games for his whole career with do they bring him into a tight final like this or do they go back to their old and uh experienced uh zach smith who seemed to be lost into the void and that you know apparently never going to play again it's going to be a really interesting decision for the cats if stanley doesn't get up for the game yeah i think i think um ryan abbott will will play i don't think stanley's going to make it uh, make it up so i think abbott will play but it's not necessarily a bad thing he's he's proved himself in the first few games he's been able to play a bit of footy and and importantly especially against max gorn he's able to go forward and kick a few goals um especially with max gorn's new role um heading back and taking some intercept marks in front of some of the key forwards it's gonna be really important that abbott can actually hurt him the other way yeah, very very interesting to see how he plays if he gets the gig, but he has shown that he can come up in those big games and be quite an interesting and important player out of the ruck. Something else to note from this game is that the Cats last had their finals win back in 2016, so not so far away, but the Demons. Back in 2006, it's been a long time between drinks for the Ds. Do you think it's something where the big stage might get to some of these players? They haven't been there before. It's definitely a possibility. I mean, it would be... It's going to be so built up over these first two weeks um, that it's just going to be... It, they're going to really want to get started in that first game and the nerves are going to get to them to start with, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the other, on the flip side of that, um, Geelong has been significantly more poor after a, um, a week off, so it'll be interesting to see if they can get back up. I think they're 2-9 two and two and nine after a week off Yeah, the something, last something, six years. Something we haven't touched on yet is this, this week off between the finals. Is that something that you're a fan of? Do you think it's a good thing for the game to have this break before the finals? I, I, do, I definitely do, especially um, looking back at some of the stats from uh, from 2013, I think it was, that um, where Ross Lyon rested 13 blokes and, and so did North Melbourne. Um, it was just a bad look for the game, and yeah. just a bad, yeah, it's just bad for footy. Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing as well. And everyone who's complaining about no footy this week, I've actually quite enjoyed it to have you know the step down before it all ramps up to a big busy final season. And they got to have the EJ Witten Legends game and stuff in that week off, so I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Yeah, bring back state of origin for the bottom ten teams. That's what I say during the week. I'm off. with you. I'm with you. 
We also um, one of the one of the best memes I've seen come out of this game is: Did you see the side by side of Nathan Jones today versus Nathan Jones the last time Melbourne made finals? It's so good because back it's like his draft photo where he's got a full head of hair and no tats and he looks like a little boy, and now he's got the full sleeves and he's all bald and looks angry. Cannot imagine him with hair, so I, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> but uh, I think he was in game six or seven in his first final, so it's a long time coming. Now, to be a bit different to the uh, first game, we actually don't think we'll see a lot of rain, but we will have that downpour the, the day before. You think that probably plays into the Cats' hands a bit more of those silky skills out of the middle and big Tom Hawkins being able to grab the ball? Or It'll be interesting because the Ds are obviously a very contested team. Cats are, but not, not as much so. And the Cats also do like using the corridor, so it might play into the to the Cats' hands a little bit more. Um, but it... it might not make too much of a difference. So Sportsbet have this game as a, which I was quite surprised when I saw it, having the D's favourites at a four-point line. Um, do you agree with that one? It's it's going to be tight, and it's hard to it's a coin flip, and I think yeah, four points either way, it could go either way. So it's tough to call. I'm I'm going to take the cats in this one. I'm going to go against the bookies and actually against the model. The model's quite hot on the D's. It reckons they'll win by 33, which it's a, it's a very large march. And the model the model just loves the loves the demons because of their huge mark count inside 50, which is above every other team in the comp by quite a large way. So got the model there by 33 to the demons. We've got four points to the demons for sports bed, and I'm taking the cats. Are you going to go with your boys? Yeah, I'll go with the cats by probably four points. After the siren as well. After the siren, so you kicking the goal after the siren, he's going to kick it. Either way. Either way. Or or Gorn missing another one. (laughs) Move on to the uh, next game, which is the Swans and the Giants. So the Battle of the Bridge Finals Edition, um, Elimination Final, Saturday at the SCG at 4.20. Yeah, so the Swans have won both games um, against JWS this year um, by 16 and 20 points, but it, it, it could be as close as that or it could be could be a blowout this one. Yeah, you think it could be a blowout? Which way would you would you think it would go to well, the I'm, I'm more not... experienced Sydney? Or I'm not sure. I, I, it is a it, it is a flip of the coin, but once again, I don't I don't necessarily think it's going to be a close game. Very interesting. We've got a lot of players potentially coming into this team that maybe didn't play some of those earlier games. I know Zach Williams, um, potentially fairy tale coming back. The Achilles in January hasn't played all year. They think that he might line up this weekend. Yeah, Toby Green should be back in. Brett Deledio might be available. It could be a, a very different look um, GWS that played Sydney a few weeks ago. Yeah, very different. I think the Williams one is just such an interesting addition, especially with his Shaw going down in that back line. Obviously, um, having not had Williams all year, they've had a little bit of differences in, in their lineup of halfback. They've had Whitfield playing a lot of that time, running off that halfback line, but actually the Swans have been putting a lot of work into him when they played those two previous games. Um, Whitfield only having 15 and 17 touches in those two encounters. Do you expect him to get a lot of attention again? Well, it's going to be interesting because um, Hewitt's the, the main tagger for Sydney, uh, for Sydney and he he'll he has gone to Whitfield the last few times, but if he the other person that is taggable and is gettable is is um josh kelly and he obviously is very good ball mover and very um very nice skills so it could be worthwhile tagging him out of the game instead of whitfield yeah kelly's one that's sort of been in and out with injury all year but when he's played he's been electric and even had some people i think it was gary line or a couple of commentators come out and say he's the best player in the game at the moment when he's playing full flight full full fitness which we expect him to go into the game as and yeah i think hewitt does do his best tagging when it's in there the middle helping helping sort of quell some of the influence of the opposition's main ball winners so be interesting to see where he starts but there are some really good matchups to look forward to in this game 
Yeah, so the the battle in the ruck is going to be an interesting one because they're both sort of second string ruckmen from last year that have had to been forced into the job with um, Lobb versus Sinclair. So it could be pretty much a, a stalemate or a, or a nil-all draw in that situation. Yeah, who knows? Because I know when they played earlier in the year, Sinclair sort of manhandled Lobb a bit and sort of got, got on top and was really the better player on the ground. But I think Lobb's been in a lot better form the last few weeks. He's finally got himself in a, a couple of games in the row without injury and um, sort of his work around the ground will be very interesting to see if he can get a lot more ball out on those wings or if Sinclair can sort of float forward and take advantage of Lobb's sort of uh, inexperience in the ruck. Yeah, I don't think the ruck battle is going to be one that's going to make everyone excited, but you know it'll it'll be important in this game. One of the big matchups that probably will get people a little more excited is Buddy Franklin and uh, which of the defenders there at GWS gets to take him. Is this a game you can see Buddy just just ripping apart? Could be interesting. I mean, he's, he's finally had a couple of weeks off, so he might be running into some you know full fitness, and he was already looking really good before the before the bye. So um, yeah, he could potentially go nuts in this game and kick seven or something like that. So. Sportsbet has this game as a uh, five-point win to the Swans, so I think it's going to be very close. And actually, the model agrees, thinking it's very close, also tipping the Swans by about 15 points there. So thinking it'll be tight for win to the Swans. Do you happen to agree? Uh, I actually think JWS will win this game, but um, just going forward, I don't think either of these teams will have much effect on the finals after this. Huge. So you think this is sort of the side of the draw you want to be on, the one that comes out of the Swans GWS. You don't think they've got the run in the legs or just the the sort of output as a team this year? They don't seem to have the sustainable brand of footy that will get them through to final, uh, getting through to the grand final um, both this year. The Swans have had it in the, in the past, but maybe not so much this year. Mm, interesting. I, I'm going to back the Swans in this one, but I really couldn't decide. This is one of the ones where, because of the amount of players coming in for GWS, it's just so hard to, to know what they're going to give. But Swans are a bit more of a known quantity for me, so I'm going to side with them, but definitely one that I can see going either way. We move on to the last game, which is the Eagles and the Pies at 6.10 Saturday night at Optus Stadium. So over there in the West, probably a, a big factor in this game, sort of tipping it a little towards the towards the Eagles compared to if it was here in the Melbourne. Yeah, I was definitely surprised opening up the um, sports bet app and finding that uh, that the Eagles were a, a nine-point favorite. I actually thought that... Um, that the Pies were going to be um, coming into this favourite. I mean, they've been in some good form even with even with their um, injuries, and West Coast have just sort of been stumbling through to the finals. So I'm not I'm not sure where this has come from. Might have come from their one matchup earlier in the year where the Eagles came down to the G and really just smashed the Pies. They won that by 25, but had both Kennedy and Darling kicking three goals. We know both those boys will be back and firing this week in a forward line that has to come up against Collingwood's really mishmash, just like first gamer or odd person here and there, key position defenders. They'll be getting a few players back, which will help them definitely. But um, yeah, that it is interesting that, um, that, that Josh Kennedy and Darling will both be back. I mean, they're both probably not going to be at full fitness. I mean, Josh Kennedy's coming off of, what, six weeks out? Yeah, and I he's think, been there for a while. And Darling off a, a concussion, was yeah. it? Yeah, and usually that first week after concussions, we see players have a lot of trouble keeping up their normal level of play. Yeah, and obviously the big difference from that game would be Gaff. Part of the win earlier in the season, but not there this time, and he obviously provides a lot of outside run and, and carry. Yeah, had 30 touches in that uh, game earlier in the year, as long, along with Shuey and Redden, so they just got a mountain of the ball in that first game, and I think being a finals atmosphere, it's going to be a lot more tight contested, and they're going to find it a lot harder to get that outside run. And one thing that I think will be really important in this game is the ruck battle, and I think Grundy is going to do a really good job against the the Vardy Lysett combo, um, and I think that he'll get the best of it, and and Collingwood will definitely get first use of the ball. Yeah, definitely an important point. 
Definitely another one that we uh, will see probably having an influence on the game is this Optus Stadium factor where these uh, West Coast and Fremantle both really love playing there, both on the knowing the ground very well, but also the crowd atmosphere and how that influences the umpiring as well. Always get a few more frees there, but just even the way that the crowd can sort of lift the players, they seem to be a much more cohesive group playing over there in the West. Yeah, definitely. They love playing at home, but um, I think Collingwood can go over there and, and create a bit of an upset. Hmm. So we do know that the Pies have only beat one top eight side all year. West Coast, obviously a top eight side. Is that going to play into this or is all bets off once it comes to finals? You just qualify and uh, play the tournament, as people say. Uh, I think I think that's the case. I think you just you just have to play the, the cards you're dealt with and I think that Collingwood will, will be able to, to, to handle the pressure of finals. So you're tipping the Pies. I think I'm going to go against you. I really like the Eagles in this one. That forward line of Kennedy and Darling, even at half fitness, I reckon, can can kick too many goals for the Pies to keep up with. Um, Eagles by nine by Sportsbed, we also said earlier, but the model siding with that as well, four points to the Eagles. So I think all of us here are thinking it might be a bit of a close forward affair, which is, is going to be quite an interesting one to shape the rest of the finals. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just note that I tipped against the model in every single game, so we'll see um, how that goes. So it's the model v. Matt. So <laughs> if you get them all right, we're going to scrap the model and you'll be the model next year. And uh, if the model gets them all right, we've finally decided where the model is better than man. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So the uh, overall premiership odds we've got for the year have come out. So the Tigers are entering the uh, finals races favourites at 235 and then we've got the Eagles and the Pies from that match we just spoke about at 7 and $8 so quite a big gap there between the Tigers and everyone else at this stage. Yeah definitely and after that the, the D's and the, uh, the Cats are at $10 and $12 and I think you'll see those those prices probably better than double if, if they win, um, uh, better than half sorry when, when one of those teams win because they're going to be going in having beaten one of the strength teams in the competition and, and being in good momentum so I think I think once that game is settled, the the prices will change quite a lot. Yeah, and to to sort of go with your point earlier about the Swans and GWS sitting all the way back at sixteen and eighteen dollars, sort of the bookies matching what you're saying with them probably being sort of the teams that you'd want to come up against if you're losing those first finals. Yeah, definitely. And I think in in, in conversely to my other point, if the Swans or the or GWS win, they won't quite um, halve their price um, going into the next round for the Premiership odds. So for the full thing, are you are you still on the Tigers, or do you think somebody else can come up and cause an upset this year? Uh, well, I was more confident on the Tigers a few weeks ago, but I think definitely maybe this, the hype around finals is, is everyone's got a chance, everyone's you know up and about. So it, it's it's now now I believe that anyone can win it. But my mind says that Richmond are going to win it. Yeah, your mind says Richmond, but it is anyone's game. I mean, after the Dogs won it, it sort of opened the floodgates, didn't it? And we had the Tigers and, you know, potentially the Demons could do it this year and sort of just have those teams that hadn't won it for so long sort of come in the bottom side of the ladder and then just just sweep through. It sort of all lined up for the Demons, but maybe maybe the Cats can put that all to bed this week. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, that definitely be disappointing for the T's to go out in straight sets, consider uh, first round because a lot of people are tipping them for the flag. But um, yeah, definitely if they if they get up this week, they can go all the way easily. All right, so that's all we've got time for you this week. Bill's not here to do the outro, but hopefully we'll get him back in the fray. And uh, good debut, Maddie. We might have you back on the podcast next time. All right, thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll catch you next week on the Science of Footy podcast.